together up here. So over here at the piano again this week, um, and a little bit of a skeleton crew, but we're going we're gonna to worship together <laughs> this morning. Um, as always, I, we're so glad that you're here, and even those who are um, watching from home um, and are, aren't able to be here in the room with us, but we welcome you and glad that you're joining with us together and worship today. I wanted to, this morning, um, as I was even choosing some of the songs, what was just very overwhelming me this, this week, because it was part of my Bible study, is that um, the mercy and the grace of God. Um, we have women's Bible study on Wednesday mornings. We're also studying the book of Romans. Um, I've teased with them. It's to make sure that Mark stays in line, so we're doing it ahead of time to make sure that he's on target. But... Um, We've been a little bit further along, so we're in the good stuff, so to speak. <laughs> After chapter one and the news that we've been hearing, the bad news is very, very bad, but oh, the good news is so, so good. And just studying this week about his mercy and grace. And so the songs are chosen with that in mind. So I guess I just challenge you this morning as you're singing, pay attention to the words and worship in um, spirit and in truth and just enjoy um, the goodness of God. And so I can't stop and start um, singing again until I've said this. Don't be a spectator. <laughs> Join us. You can stand if you want. If today you don't feel like standing, that's just fine. 
but above all, just just join us, sing, sing from the heart. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the again I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned
of you that aren't standing, would you stand with me if you're able? We are going to read some scripture together. 
from the book of Ephesians. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. the Lord, his 
Be 
Well, good morning, church. It is wonderful to see you together this morning. Uh, I, we have a couple announcements to make, and then we'll jump into uh, what the Lord is going to teach us today. We're going to pray for the kids as they go off to their programming, and those will be discipling them. Uh, if you are new to Carpenter's Way, or you're not new, I believe being involved in every part of the church, I believe that, that the strongest, one of the strongest things we have as a church is our non-vocational pastoral staff from our elders to those uh, who volunteer and don't get paid for it. And one of those is Robert Grimes, along with Jared Pig. They are our missionary pastors, uh, our missions pastors. And, and Robert, especially, he has a vision for what God wants to do through us as a church and how we fulfill our mandate for missions. And I am excited to serve alongside with him and actually give this area, and you love all this attention. This is because we don't pay you. You always point out we don't pay you, so I'm going to flatter you a little bit. But, but whether you, you don't see all the stuff that he and Jared do, but I just want you to know that all of the stuff that we do with missions, they have their fingers in. And uh, we're so blessed to have them. And so uh, Robert's going to announce something again that is going to happen this morning during the 11 o'clock hour that we've been talking about for a couple of weeks. And I would ask you to really seriously listen and uh, maybe make, become, participate in this because it's, uh, it's a real part of their vision. So, Robert, why don't you come and make your 10-second uh, announcement? And uh, would you give Robert a big hand for all he does? That's it. Don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want you to know that I had you do that for the sole purpose of how much he hated that right then. So, happy uh, Pastor Appreciation Month. There it is. You're welcome. And payback will come, too. I just want to let, let you know that. All right, so just a reminder today at 11.15 or right after the worship, center, worship service, we're going to have a meeting. It was supposed to be in the library. We're moving it to uh, the worship center just right here in this section. And what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about missions. We're going to talk about what they are, what our responsibilities are, what our responsibilities are towards missions, what the church's responsibility are towards missions, and why missions are important. So if missions interest you, if you've never been on a mission trip and you want to talk about missions a little bit. We're going to address uh, maybe a couple of the roadblocks and have some question and answer time, and we'll be done by noon. So if you would like to be there at that meeting, we'd appreciate y'all being here. That's again, 1115, right after worship service. Thank you. I'll just scream. Okay, so one of the things, I know those of us who grew up in a church, Sunday school hour was a sacred hour, and we have some at 830 in the morning, and we have some at 11 o'clock, and we actually just moved our Bible study. Julie and I have been uh, participating uh, with what was once the young marrieds, and now it's the young, I, I mean, they just, now they all have kids, some two and three and 12. But um, we, uh, we just moved it from Sunday night to Sunday morning because 
there's going to be opportunities like this. Number one, we wanted our children involved in the gospel project discipleship that Alicia oversees. It's phenomenal. Second of all, though, we, we, we are, uh, we're going to have opportunities like this morning where, we're going to, where, where you're going to have the opportunity to jump out of your Bible study class for one week. That's still your family. That's still your little church. But we want to give you the opportunity to jump out to find more information out. As you know, Clay has been doing a men's thing on Sunday morning for six weeks. And so uh, we're going to try to afford, offer these opportunities for you. And uh, so don't feel like you're joining a different class because that's not what this is. He actually has another class. But this will be, again, in here this morning. If you have never heard the vision of our missions or have never been on an international mission trip and have and and it's just going to be about that you can ask questions of how we fund stuff whatever what you want to ask he and jared uh will lead that so that'll be here at 11 o'clock okay now back to church stuff on sunday morning so we are going right now through a series out of romans verse by verse called soteriology and that is a theological word that just means the whole enchilada of salvation that's basically it the theology of how a person is saved and um, I, we, uh, if you've been through a Roman study before, like Julie said, that they're ahead to make sure that we get it right. But the truth is, there are, there, how many weeks, uh, Julie? Julie, can I have your attention? Just for a second, you go back to Hannah. You guys text each other so nobody knows you're talking. So I'm just teasing. That's, that's okay. Jules, how many, how many weeks are you guys into your women's Bible study? Are you four weeks into it? And you're in chapter what this week? Is it, do you guys remember what? Five to seven. So they're moving really, really quickly. We're in our third or fourth week of our study of Romans, and we're in chap. We're just we're still in chapter one, and uh, actually, for some who've done Romans, that's fast. Uh, but what what we're doing is this: we are we are going through this book and looking specifically at salvation. And Julie mentioned this morning something that's very important. The beginning after Paul greets us in Romans, the beginning is very bad news. Chapter 1, chapter 2, it's extremely bad news, and it's depressing. It tells us why the world is in the condition it is in. And, it, and, and uh, chapter 2 is fun. I'm looking forward to that with you. But chapter 1 is, is dark. But in the middle of chapter 1, it actually says that everybody, every man, woman, and child is without excuse because of creation. Uh, one of the things I told you when we started this was because we wanted to look at the doctrine and theology found in Romans, Periodically, when we hit something like how God introduces himself to man, how come the person who's never heard the name of Jesus, how are they still accountable uh, to a God they've never heard his name? Uh, that's called God's self-revelation. That is a doctrine, and it's talked about throughout Scripture. And what, to hear a different voice, I'm going to step aside, and Zach's going to teach that theology. Uh, so that's what's happening this morning. We're starting that this morning. Next week, I'll get up here again, and we'll go through chapter 2. And we, when we come to the next major theological, systematic theology, we'll pause. Zach will come up and teach that. Because, uh, and, and why are we doing this? Number one, we're doing two people because it's nice to hear another voice. And um, it's a sidebar. It's a theological sidebar. And I want you to realize that. Uh, Number two, because he's obsessed with this stuff to a point where it drives me crazy. Number three, uh, n number, number three is because the Bible says that as the return of the Lord is near, even the saints will be deceived if the Lord doesn't rapture us out. And I believe those days are coming. I believe the deception of the church is upon us. Uh, sometimes it's hard to call yourself a Christian because it doesn't mean anything. To some people, it means you're a moralist. To some people... 
It's just, it doesn't mean much. So I feel like it's incumbent upon us as elders of this church to make sure that we fill your heart with truth because Ephesians 4.12 says that we need to teach you what's true so that you are not blown around by any wind of doctrine. And that is why we're doing this. So this morning is kind of a, I'll call it a theological sidebar. Zach's going to be talking about, uh, uh, you know, those verses. How does God introduce himself to us? And I'm very excited. We have men in this church, not just because he's my son, but we have men in this church who can handle theology at a great level and women as well who teach in Bible study and are deacons. And uh, it is exciting, but we don't want to leave anybody behind. So it's important that we take this time to do that. So, Zach, why don't you come? And uh, Thank you. Actually, let me pray, okay? Okay. Father, I thank you uh, for your word, and I thank you that it is relevant to our lives and it matters. I thank you uh, this morning for Zach opening your word to us, and I pray that we would have ears to hear. I pray that you would use Zach, that you would encourage uh, his heart, and that the words he presents are not his own but yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Dad. Good morning. It is. It really is a privilege to, to, to be able to do this. You know, I think people assume because I'm Pastor Mark's son that it's an easy thing to get up here, but it's actually not. I get more scrutiny because I am his son. You know, usually when I come to him, he's like, what's the point? What's the, what does it matter? Which is good. And so, and so to be able to be here with you and allow, to allow them to be able to, to t- fill this position is truly humbling. I, I, there is nothing about this that I take lightly. And it is, it is a privilege, the fact that the elders trust me for whatever reason. They saw me grow up. I don't know why they do that. But it is a, just an absolute privilege to be able to do this every um, opportunity I get periodically. And so, he, you know, I was planning on to make the sermon inductive, meaning it kind of progresses and we unfold it as we go. But Dad kind of gave a bit of a spoiler about what we're talking about. I'm just kidding. So we're going to jump right into, into this. But before we do, I want to take a few moments... Um, to, as, as, as he kind of described, to kind of just get to level ground here. Because I know the moment he said theological sidebar, every one of you went, oh, <laughs> that. Okay, so we're going to skip those days so we can enjoy the fun stuff. No, this is important stuff. So when, when, I, when he say theology, it's a big word, and especially if you grew up in the church, it is it is a heavy word, but before we dive into this, I just want to make it clear that theology is simply the study of God. That's all this is. Theos is the Greek word for God. Ology means something for study. Theology is the study of God. That's all this is, right? And truly, everything is theological. Everything. We could actually even say Richard Dawkins, the famous atheist, is a theologian. Why? Because he's simply making statements about God. They don't have to be right statements, but they are statements about God. So everything we touch, everything we do is kind of quote-unquote theological, right? Because every, the way we live our lives, it makes a statement about how we view our world. It makes a statement about how we view God. It makes a statement about how we view each other. So are we Christ followers? First and foremost, absolutely. But by being a Christ follower, we have to interact at an intellectual level with the truths of Scripture. There's kind of this, this poison, I think, that kind of enters a, a, a spirituality a little bit where, where we think that this Scripture goes straight from the, the words on the page straight into our heart, but it has to go into our mind first. And that process of learning at the intellectual level, that process of kind of gathering things in our mind, that is theology. And then God works on our heart through what we're learning in knowledge. 
And so when we take a, what we could call a theological sidebar, we're simply taking a step back to look at the truths of Scripture from an, a, a bit of a more kind of intellectual level, more of a, a, a systematic level. We're not going to go verse by verse. We're going to look at a topic that Scripture teaches and say, hey, what does this book have to say about this topic, right? That's all this is. I'm not going to sit up here with a chalkboard and as much as I would love that, I'm not going to stand up here with a chalkboard and, and go through all these boring terms. I will mention terms, but that's only to make sure that we're, we're, we're understanding of this. Because the whole point of theology is to make sure we understand what's true. Because if you don't understand what, 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 what Scripture teaches us from just a doctrinal level, right? All that means is if we boil this book down to a few principles we will get blown around by every wind of doctrine. We will. That's just the way it works, right? If someone comes to you and has a bit more uh, uh, education behind you, they can, they can probably circle you to the point where you don't know how to respond to that, which is okay, but if we study this book verse by verse, but then take a step back to focus on the topics it's teaching, it allows us to have this, this, this bit of intellectual foundation to not just say, is this true? Do I believe this? Why do I believe this? We can trust that the scriptures are true. We can trust that God is true. Why? Because it's not just that God has touched you in your heart. It's that God is teaching you at an intellectual level. And you don't have to be educated. You don't have to go to Bible school. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a teacher. Every one of us in this room, no matter where you work, no matter what you do, are theologians. We are. And I know that's a big word, and you're like, a theologian? Oh, my goodness. That just means we're talking about Jesus, man. That's all this means. We are diving into Scripture, and we are diving into the truths that it teaches. That's all this means. So I, I plead with you, if you are in the camp where you hear this and, and, and you think, man, I just want Jesus. I don't really need that theology stuff. I kind of implore you to say, look, to get all that Jesus you want, you got to learn from him first, which is theology. And two, if you're in the camp where you're like, I just don't think I have what it takes to do this, just take a breath. This is, this is supposed to be completely incomprehensible because God is completely incomprehensible. All we're doing is trying to put together some sort of uh, uh, understanding to the way God works, but at the end of the day, we will not understand how he works. That's all this is. We're trying to understand him, but know that we are fallible human beings with fallible minds, and we're going to struggle, and it's okay. All of us do. That's the point. That's why we have church, so we can encourage one another. So I want to make sure we're on level ground there and kind of make sure we, we get that this is an important time, that while we may not be going verse by verse, we are 100% staying to Scripture. We're 100% binding ourselves to Scripture. We're just looking at the core doctrine Scripture teaches. This is not a topical message. This is a doctrinal message. Are we good? Awesome. Awesome. I'm very excited. So let me, uh, let me pray. And we'll dive in. I ask, please, that in this time you also pray with me and for me, because um, I, I do think that if, if Zach's up here talking, you're not going to learn very much, but if God uses me to display his truth, then I, I pray that we are moved by that. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for your, your goodness to us. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. As we dive into your truth, your doctrine, I pray that you really just provide clarity, God. Let us not get just, just bogged down by so much noise that has been stirred up in this, in, this, in this realm, and let us just enjoy the truths that come off the pages of your word. It's in your name. Amen. Have you ever played the game of telephone? You know what I'm talking about? So you know where like, like 
where you like say a word to someone in their ear, and then they say it to someone, they say it to someone, they say it to someone, and by the end of it, it means something completely different because you couldn't pass it along, right? So we've started playing this with my son, who's, you know, coming up to three now, close to three, and it's really fun because, you know, he, he thinks this is the most fun thing, so you'll go up and whisper something in his ear like, my favorite color is blue, right? And then he'll run over to, you know, my dad or my mom, and he'll whisper that phrase back, something along the lines of, I want to go outside. And I'm not saying he's slow. I'm just saying he kind of lives in a different headspace than we all do. <laughs> but but we, he loves this game. He doesn't understand it, and he's smart enough to understand it, but he chooses to play at his own speed, which is fine. But this game is really fun, and, and all of us have been exposed to this. We've played this game, and kids love to play with it, but it's also a good exercise maybe you've done in classes and stuff like that. But why is it funny? You know, why do, why do we play this game? Because we're all fully aware that if, if words or phrases or news passes through multiple people, by the end of it, it ain't going to be the same thing. We just know that, right? And what do you do when you're on the call with, like, IT support or something? You just ask for their manager, right? Because you know you're not going to get very far if you have to go through the channels of communication. You try to jump right to the next person because you know taking news through multiple people ends up very messy. This is kind of a, 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 an understanding we all have. We probably don't say it, but you all understand this, the way we live our lives. We try to jump to the next thing, to the direct person, because we know if news passes through multiple people, it won't work out. But there's one place that we tend to not live by this, and that's in the Christian circles. For whatever reason, as Christians, we're very okay with being five degrees separated from God's Word. We're okay with, with, with maybe a teacher learning from another teacher, from another teacher, from another teacher, who at one point studied Scripture. We don't necessarily always have the tendency to jump right to Scripture. We want to hear it from six degrees back because, oh, well, they learned from so-and-so, and they learned from so-and-so, and they learned from so-and-so. Paul, who learned from the greatest minds of, of his time, tried to put an emphasis on we have to jump right to God's Word. But this is kind of one area we don't always apply this truth, right? And, and, and it's very important that we as believers, as as, as, as faithful Christ followers here at Carpenter's Way, we have to understand that we can't allow ourselves to fall into this idea, idea that, that we can be five degrees separated from Scripture, or four degrees, or even at this church, two degrees, because we try to stay biblically minded. Even, even the teaching here, even Pastor Mark's teaching, you can't just trust him. You have to jump into the Word. Why? Because that is where God has revealed himself. And so that's what I want to look at today. The goal today is to look at Scripture and look at how God has revealed himself to us through Scripture and through the various means he's, he's, he's used. So the big question today, what is the self-revelation of God? What is the self-revelation of God? We all know the truths of God. Perhaps you grew up in the church, right? Perhaps you've heard truths of God. God is faithful. God is just. God, all these things we could say about God. How did we get these where did, you know, where did we get, how did we get to the point we're at now where we have maybe these 10 things you could say about God or these 10 things you could say about salvation? You know, if I took a mic around the room and I said, hey, just tell me something about salvation, we would all have something, but how did we get to that something? It came from somewhere, right? Let's look, right, oh, I am sorry, I guess that was wrong. <laughs> let's, let's jump right into this. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans 1 for me. Romans 1, 18 through 20. says this, but God, oh, no, 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 that's wrong. I jumped up. Yep, but, but here we go. But God shows his anger from heaven against all the sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Verse 19, they know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. 
For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. You know, we've spent a few weeks now looking at Romans 1. We have seen this verse. We've seen Paul's explanation of evil. We've seen how God doesn't propagate evil. God's not the origin of evil. He simply allows people the freedom to to fall into the evil they're already on pursuit of. But then he steps back in this verse and and, and kind of makes a point about the knowledge of God. He switches gears away from from evil, perhaps from, from the original sin, we could say, the sinfulness that all of us have before we find Christ, and jumps over to why we have no excuse for our original sin guilt. Now, here's the question he's asking. Why is all of humanity guilty before God? Why? Well, the, 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 we know, and, and we've studied this, is because of that original sin is what we call it. It's simply the fall. Adam and Eve fell. It cascades downward into what we have today. We're going to look at this in Romans later if you haven't already. Um, but w- why is it that all of us can be considered without excuse? Speci- and we mentioned this, specifically maybe the tribe off the coast of South America, or the tribe off of the coast of Africa, or, or, or you know, the, the, the South Asian Sea. Why is it those individuals who perhaps have never encountered Scripture, never encountered a church, never encountered evangelism, never encountered anything remotely close to what we would have today, why is it they are even without excuse? Because in my mind, I'd say that's a little unfair. They haven't heard, Right? That's not fair. If they, if they haven't heard, you, you know, if, in America, it's one thing. You have no excuse in America to, not, to, to, to claim you haven't heard God, right? But in, in, in those regions, they have no contact with society. Why would they be guilty as well? And this is, the, this is kind of the question Paul's asking. You'll notice a lot of times in Paul's writing, when he's, when he's penning his, his books, he has a question in his head. He doesn't maybe say it, but he has a question in his head. And that's the question he's kind of asking here, right? Verse 19 again says, They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky, though through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. We all fall short of the glory of God, even the unreached tribe. Whether they know it or not, they are guilty before him. Which is why God has revealed himself to humanity, because he isn't just the judge, he's also the savior. So he's revealed himself, he introduces himself, he does so through creation. He does so through creation, as Romans is saying. This is the first and initial revelation we have of God, that that when you go outside and you see the, the world, the existence we live in, that is proof that God exists. Meaning, if you go before the Bema seat of judgment in the end times, and you say to God, how would I have known you existed? You have no excuse. It's everywhere. It's written in your body. It is written in the mountains. Everywhere you look, God proves his existence. I have a friend who was, who was a doctor, and I talked to him one time, and he, and, and, and he said, there is absolutely no reason in my mind why someone could go fully through medical school and not believe there's some sort of intelligent design. All of creation proves God's existence. And, and what Paul is getting at is explaining why these people who have fallen over to evil have no excuse once they reach judgment seat here. They have no excuse. They can't claim ignorance. One of the favorite things my generation, millennials, like to do is claim ignorance. It's a bad problem in our generation, but they love to claim ignorance. In spiritual things, there is no ignorance. There is none, right? 
This is the revelation of God. It says the doctrine we call revelation. Now, don't confuse this with the book of Revelations, which is where that word comes from, because it's truth being declared of God. But this is what we call the revelation of God. Now, this, this revelation of God it, it, through creation is not just shown in Romans 1. We also see it in Psalm 19. Look at that verse here. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. That's pretty clear, right? <laughs> Can't really refuse that. But Romans 8.22 also says this. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So clearly, Scripture has made it a, a point in multiple places here, both in the Old and New Testament, that creation is part of the declarative process of God, right? Not just in Romans. We see it all through Scripture. Creation is part of this process, and this is important to grasp. This is super, super important. But this isn't the only way we see God reveal himself in this manner, right? We actually also see God reveal himself not just through creation. We actually see God reveal himself through history and tradition. We see this. Look at uh, Job 12 with me. It says this, he builds up nations and he destroys them. He expands nations and he abandons them. Psalm 47 says this, for God is the king over all the earth. Praise him with the Psalms. God reigns above the nations sitting on his holy throne. Daniel 2, he controls the course of world events. Now, if that's not one of the scariest verses you've ever read in your life. Because if you look at the world events, you're like, that, uh -uh, that's not right. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. Then Acts 17, from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and boundaries of their land. So we, we see God's flawless providence, not just through creation, but history itself. If you are a person who's never encountered God and you look at history and you see the order of history and how kind of perfectly things have kind of happened and how societies have fallen, societies have risen, Scripture actually tells us even that disproves our ignorance of God. Even that is enough. If we had no Scripture, if we had no other revelation of God, we had no truth, and we just met here hoping it's some, that we can come to some concept of who God is, just that alone means we can't claim ignorance that God is existent, that God has declared himself God. This concept that I'm talking about is called general revelation. That's the big word, general revelation. Why is it general? Because it's everyone experiences it. It is for all humanity, saved and unsaved. Everyone runs into this every morning when you leave for work. Every, everyone. He isn't speaking directly to one individual, right? A lot of times that word is just simply revelation is tied to a, a, a spiritual moment. That's not what this is. This is God revealing himself, making himself present, making himself known, not just to one individual, but to all people. That is general revelation. It's also referred to as natural revelation. This is what we call that in, the, in kind of theological circles. We put a name to it so we know what we're talking about. So when I say the word general revelation, that's simply what we're talking about. You know, perhaps there's a better name for it, and if you come up with a better name, let me know. But that's what we call it in the theological world, right? But here's a big thing. General revelation, as we see in Romans 1 here, where creation declares who God, that God is God, that history proves that God is provident, it is not enough knowledge to allow us to find salvation. 
Do we understand that? General revelation simply makes it known that we are guilty before God. It simply brings to mind that there is a God and we don't have enough in our capacity to save ourselves. But no one ever looks at a mountain and sees that we can find salvation through Christ alone. People try to worship the mountains. They're kind of weirdos. But you're never going to find salvation, salvific knowledge through general revelation. The whole point of general revelation, as Paul is saying, is simply to prove that we have guilt. Simply to, to point out that we have no excuse before God. You cannot claim ignorance before the seat of judgment. There is revelation, though, that does carry that, 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 that um, baton forth, right? So if general, general revelation carries us to the point of knowing, man, there, there must be something running this. There must be something up there. There is now particular or special revelation that picks up the piece there. That's the, so we have general revelation, then we have special revelation, right? What is special revelation? That is God revealing himself to one individual, a specific individual. This could have been a prophet. This could have been an apostle, this, uh, uh, the faithful remnant. But this is God d- d- giving divine, specific revelation of himself to an individual. Why is that important? And I can hear maybe some of you thinking, okay, that's cool. Why do those terms matter? Why is that important? Because it is the special revelation of God that gives us this book. So general revelation is just going outside and seeing that God simply exists, that there is something running this. But special revelation is what allows us to come together with this truth. So how does special revelation work, right? Well, it it, it can come through in a few ways. The first we see it come through is is history. Paul was good at this. He references history a lot. Um, He'll actually kind of look back at the Old Testament, the stories of the Old Testament, and kind of piece those into the new truths that he's sharing. He was really good at this. It's, It's not as common there. The core way that God revealed himself to prophets in the Old Testament and to apostles uh, uh, in the Newer Testament, to the epistles writers, the, the, the way he revealed that is what's called divine revelation. This is what you're thinking of maybe in your mind. This is where God audibly spoke to a writer. This is where God, through the Holy Spirit, gave them the words to say, through visions. This is what you read about in the Old Testament with the prophets, when God comes to Moses in a burning bush. When all these occurrences where God speaks to one individual, the voice of God, that is special revelation. Why? Because it is for that dude. It is for that woman. It is for that person. And those people then take their truth from God and put it in writing, which we now have today in a single book, which is very nice and convenient. Didn't have to be this way. It could have been a lot of letters that we'd have distributed in the library. But nicely, some guys decided to come together and take all of those writings and put them in one place. That is the special revelation of God. And divine revelation is incredibly scriptural. It is surrounded in scripture. I love this. Look at this. One of my favorite verses, 2 Timothy. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, listen to this, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. That word inspired in the Greek actually is is kind of translated better into like 
God-breathed, right? It's not just that people were inspired like perhaps you were inspired to paint a picture when you see something beautiful. The inspiration we're talking about is the breath of God coming out of these men and women who, who penned the Scriptures and, and coming into to, to what we now know as divine truth through His Word. This is God-breathed, without error, inerrant, completely without error, People might come to you and say, oh, well, if you look at the Scripture, this number here doesn't match this number. There is contextual reasons for every of it, every bit of it. There has never been a scholar who's come to Scripture from an argumentative method and proven that it's contradicted itself. It never has, and it never will. Why? Because this is God-breathed, specifically revealed to those God has called. Also, Deuteronomy 18.18, I don't know how, if it gets much clearer than this. I will raise up a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell the people everything I command him. I don't know if it gets much clearer than that. Like, these are the words of God. One of the biggest criticisms we have of our divine scripture here is that, oh, it was just written by, you know, 60 dudes, 60 people. How can it be that infallible? This is God's words. 1 Corinthians 4. Uh, 14 says this, or do you think God's word originated with you Corinthians? Are you the only ones to whom it was given? If you claim to be a prophet or think you are spiritual, you should recognize that what I am saying is a command from the Lord himself. But if you do not recognize this, you yourself will not be recognized. So this doesn't just originate with the Corinthian believers. This doesn't originate with the Roman believers. That since Genesis 1, where God created creation in and of itself, he meant for all of creation to point to him. This wasn't just something for a project for him to kind of look back on and say, that's really cool. This is meant to declare who he is. We watched this Louis Giglio video a few weeks back and how cool it is that the, the stars seem to kind of just resonate the voice of God. But even cooler then, we have special revelation where it carries a step further and it is the divine Godhead speaking to humanity. Every religion, you go out, I challenge you to search every religion on the face of the planet. Everyone and every one of them will require you to come to that God first before communication happens. But God speaks to humanity, to the prophets, to the apostles. But that's actually not my favorite part about this. The most tangible example we have of special revelation is Jesus Christ, the incarnation, God entering as man. That this is that God's uh, entering in, Jesus, in the form of Jesus Christ and teaching uh, uh, his, his followers, his 33 years spent, that is the core central method we have of special revelation because it's the mouth of God himself. Matthew 1, 23, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. John 1, one of my favorite uh, you know, probably my favorite, my literal favorite passage in all of Scripture. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God, and God created everything through Him. And nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. And I actually don't have this in, 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 the, in the list there, Luis, but if you jump down to verse 14, it actually says, So the Word became flesh. The Word, the Logos, the truth became flesh. You know, if you go study, I, I, I don't know, Islam, they will have words from the, the prophet uh, 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 Muhammad. No, no, no. Let's talk about our God who came in the form of Jesus Christ. You don't got to go through Muhammad. You don't have to go through the, all of these prophets. If you don't really want to and you want to be completely critical and kind of weird and you say, I don't trust the prophets, then just go to Jesus because he came too. 
I'd say it's a little unwise because God spoke to the prophets, but you could. Why? Because God has revealed himself generally and specifically. And this is a big deal. This is not just academic. The whole reason we can be here is because of this. The whole point, if, if, if God hadn't chosen to reveal himself, we would still be subject to his rule. But he did. Why? Because he loves you. And he wants you to understand him. Not so you know everything, but so that you know he is God and who he is. Because he wants this to be a relationship. If he wanted this a sterile religious system, he wouldn't give us so much truth. But God brought us into knowledge of him, which is something that, that, that I can't even fathom why he would do that. We actually, did you guys know, in the Gospels, we actually see the temptation of Jesus. How would you like the hardest temptation you've ever experienced in your life to be written for millions of re- people to read? Millions. How would you like that? We actually experienced the temptation of Jesus, probably one of the hardest moments in his life on this earth. We read it. We get to read it. Why would he do that? Why would he give us such an intimate moment? Because it's about a relationship. And he took on your sinfulness so you could take on his righteousness through his, his work. So particular revelation is what is, or special revelation. I like to call it particular because special kind of makes it seem a little more uh, 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 confusing. Particular revelation, meaning God particularly chose individuals to reveal himself to. While taking a place in, in through history or through Jesus or through the divine revelation to, to the writers of Scripture, all in all, it's very specific, right? It is the word from God of uh, himself, about himself. General revelation is just general uh, uh, introduction to the existence of God, right? It's enough to say that we can't be ignorant, but it's not enough to say, you know, I'm coming to a saving knowledge of God. Paul makes a very, very important point here in, in Romans 1. General revelation only, only proves our accountability to something bigger, but that is a big point because that point is what starts our spiritual journey in the first place. And now let's talk about general revelation in light of uh, 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 after you receive salvation because we're not just talking about pre-salvation. Every time you go outside, you are reminded that God is God. So not only does general revelation give us uh, introduction to who God is, it gives us a reminder that God is continually faithful, that the sun rises every morning, that all these things that remind us that God is God, we need that, right? And then God re- reveals himself specifically, that all the truths that have come from God and come to humanity truly exist in this book, this book that you can pick up for $15. Are you grasping this? Paul spends many of his books or his letters writing, this is a word from the Lord, his servant Paul. But then in Romans 1.20 is one of the few occurrences we see him say, hey, but you don't actually have to just read my letters, just look outside. There is now a really vital distinction I want to make about particular revelation. And this, this, this is a big deal. One of the bigger deals of the sermon, please, if you're going to walk away from anything, this is a big deal. This particular or special revelation that we read all about in Scripture, you know, Isaiah being touched with, by the, the coal on his lips, that God revealed all his truths to himself, all of these things we see that, that God especially reveals himself to, to humanity, 
it's most likely not something you and I will experience outside of Scripture. Why is this a big deal? God's prophets, his faithful remnant in the Old Testament, his, his apostles, these are the individuals that God clearly through our writings spoke to directly so they could pen the truths of God. However, God teaching you in your quiet time, God speaking to you uh, through, through worship, through a worship song, that is not particular revelation. That is God revealing to you a truth that had perhaps has already existed. Why is this an important distinction? Because it's important for us to understand that God teaching you is something called illumination. God is illuminating you or revealing to you truths that already existed. Here's why this is important. I guarantee you, you just pick a church in most towns and you will walk in and they will tell you this is a truth I have heard from God. Is it a truth? Perhaps it is, but it better align with Scripture. And it is a, it is a pandemic in the Christian world for pastors to feel the need to tell you that they have received a new truth from God, that they have been especially revealed. And I am in no place to ever say that it's not, but if you are doing so as a pastor, that makes you a prophet, and if you are a prophet, it better align with Scripture because this is his truth, and if it doesn't, you're a false prophet, therefore you should be condemned to death. That's what Scripture teaches. So God absolutely teaches us. But when we use that word, hey, God revealed to me, just make sure we understand, this, this is the theology part of me, make sure we understand, you guys know me, there's a distinction here, that God revealing something to you in your quiet time is 99.9% .9 of the time, unless, you know, you're the one they talk about in Revelation, is, is, is simply God revealing to you truth that has already existed in Scripture, right? This is illumination. And so many have been bogged down by that confusion. So many. There is a following of people following Bill Johnson for that exact reason. Because scripture isn't enough. But God, in his divinity, gives us this word with everything we need. First, or Second Peter says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. You don't need more. Everything. We have received all of this by coming to know him. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. You have everything you need for life and godliness. You need no more. You don't need another book. You don't have to ever touch another Christian book again. All you need is this. That's it. That is it. You don't need any more. Now, there's some of you, perhaps theologically minded, saying, so Zach, are you a cessationist? Are you saying God doesn't speak to individuals anymore? No, I'm not at all. God perhaps does speak specifically. You know, I've, I've read stories of, of missionaries going to tribes and bringing scriptures with them. And these tribes are like, oh, we've waited for these truths. God, you know, we've seen these envisions and things. God does that. But in a society here in America where every store sells God's truth and we have the Holy Spirit bound to us, it's just not as necessary for God to speak directly to you. Not saying he doesn't, perhaps he might, but it's not as necessary. And I, I I would, I'm feeling pretty confident that 99.9% .9 of the time here in America, if someone says they have a new truth from God and it doesn't align with Scripture, it's probably not true. Why? Because Scripture is the canon. It's our measuring stick. And if God tells us, as we are supposed to listen to in 2 Timothy or in 2 Peter, that this is our measuring stick, that we compare everything to Scripture, then, then perhaps that's true and these individuals teaching this are wrong. And just know, we, we as, as, as Bible-focused believers are not coming from a place of pride here. We shouldn't come down to our fellow believers who go to these places and say, hey, you need to read the Word, you're not in the right place. We simply say, look, if it doesn't align with Scripture, I'm just not into it. 
All we need for life and godliness is his word. That may be offensive to you, what I just said, and, and, I, and I don't mean to be, but it is very important that we understand that God has revealed to you everything you need to fill, fulfill this life faithfully, to run this race. And I'm even going to go one more to say, God's word is convenient in a book, but even if he didn't have a Bible, it still would be enough. Even if we didn't have these writings and we had to look them up on Google from one individual who perhaps had them and there wasn't distributed so conveniently, we still would have to trust only his word. Why? Because that's what Scripture says. Scripture isn't this book. Scripture is God's truth. It's just conveniently put in this book. Jump back to Romans 1 for me. Actually, I want to say one more thing real quick. That there's a, I can't remember who the, the theologian was, but there's a quote I love from a theologian. If you know who it is, please tell me. Um, that, that speaks to what I just said perfectly. He used to say this. Uh, he used to comment, any word from God must be consistent with Scripture. If it is not, it isn't from God. If it is, it was in Scripture already and therefore redundant. Do you get that? So if God has revealed something to you and you're, um, you're just you know, jazzed about it, that's awesome, but it's already in Scripture. I don't mean to you know, poop on your excitement, but it was already in Scripture. Right? So, all right, so let's jump back to Romans. They know the truth about God because he made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. They have no excuse for not knowing God. This is amazing. All little gods of other religions require certain things for God to communicate, but God starts the communication with creation itself. And again, let me, let me clarify, general revelation, whether it be through, through creation or humans' intricacy or history, it will not lead us to a saving knowledge of God. That's where Scripture picks up the pieces. That's where perhaps evangelism picks up the pieces, where we tell, you know, John 3.16, for God's love of the world, right? We, we tell our believers, when, when we, as humanity, interacts with God's truth, that's what carries us across the finish line through the Holy Spirit's work. No one is looking at the Grand Canyon and saying, huh, you know what, this is cool. I think I need saving knowledge through Christ and grace, right? No one's doing that. That's not how it works. It is the moments of general revelation that perhaps spark interest, lead us to interactions, or, or remind us of the truths we've learned. But his only interaction with God's truth himself, namely Jesus Christ, that we come to saving and graceful knowledge of him. That's essentially it. You know, you, perhaps you've heard those terms, but that's, that's all it is, right? This, just the process of God's self-revelation. He reveals himself generally to all mankind and specifically to the few he has chosen. And now we all generally get to read that truth through Scripture, right? We are so very fortunate to have his word in that way. And, and it's really, really, really vital that we grasp this, to understand what Scripture teaches on how God reveals himself. Because the biggest criticism we will get, especially as America becomes more postmodern, more post-religious, is simply the validity of Scripture and the validity of our truths. God has revealed himself, Emmanuel, God with us. He has shown us himself. He has been with us and even within you through the presence of the Spirit. So he doesn't just stop with Scripture. He gives you the presence of the Spirit to bind you to himself. We serve a God who wants to be known, not so you can figure things out, but because he wants you to follow him with abandonment. He doesn't hide away. 
God's revelation has always been consistent, and it's never contradicted itself, and it has always demanded a response. Whether it be general or specific, the response is always follow or perish. That's it. That is it. Follow or perish. God just wants us to follow Him. Not so you, again, not so you have all the answers or be able to learn more than others or lord your knowledge over them, but and not to over-intellectualize our faith. That's a huge problem too. But to call us to dependence on Him. Because the more we come to know about Him, the bigger He gets, actually. And, and the more we realize we truly don't know about Him. That's kind of how that works. So as we go through Romans, right? As, as, as we go through Romans and we're going to take breaks like this and we just look at maybe the definitions of some core truths that, that Paul is talking about, we'll, we will systematize these truths so we don't complicate it, but just, that's just so we understand it better. And so why do we break this down to two pieces? Because God has revealed himself, and it's not meant to be complicated. He's spoken to some, and he's speaking to everybody in two different ways, right? There is no reason we can't grow in knowledge of him. There's no reason. And knowledge precedes heart change, as we talked about. God has made himself known both to all humanity, then personally to the lives of those he calls himself. And don't get me wrong, we interact with that special revelation all the time. We just interact with it through Scripture. Christians often say, I know God is there, but I just want to hear from him. And turn on your audio Bible. That's all it takes to interact with the statements and truths of God. That's it. Man, we, we have a tendency in the Christian world to lift up spiritual emotionalism and not lift up God's word. You don't need music to read God's word. You don't, all you need is, is pages. That's all you need, a paper. You don't need the things that perhaps the, the noise of the Christian world will tell you you need. You need this Bible study. You need this. At the end of the day, all you need is Scripture. If all of a sudden we couldn't get our hands on Bible study content, that would be okay. We would be able to grow just as much because we still have this. And the Holy Spirit to make sure we're following what's true. Regarding general revelation, if you doubt, as we all do, look no further than creation itself. Look at the sun when you go out and say, why hasn't that thing burned up yet? Look at the grass and say, how is it it comes back to life every year when it dies? Look at the stars and ask, why would there be more stars than we can even see? What's the point? And look at the pines and ask, why do I feel like I'm dying slowly from your pollen? (laughs) Creation declares God. Preaching is not the only place for you to interact with God's truth. Please, don't let that be the case. He has given you so many mediums. Scripture, you walk outside, you're reminded of him, you're pointed to him. Every time you see, this, you see creation, it's a reminder, oh, I mean, I need to jump into the word. Why? Because it's pointing us back to God, and we, we should be craving that particular revelation, that truth from God. That God has given knowledge of himself when he didn't have to. Nothing would change for us if we didn't have this, but it can change a lot now that we do. We all doubt. We all struggle with the validity of this. We all struggle with what Paul is describing throughout Romans. But why does he start his letter in Romans with evil and general revelation? This is a a gorgeous, beautiful letter of theological uh, perspective on salvation, right? Perhaps one of the best known to man, People from across the the religious scheme study this because it is such a gorgeous argument. 
Why does he start with this argument? Because he wants you to be aware that we are all on level ground. There is no hills at the base of the cross. This is, a, this is straight ground. We all start in the same place. I went to Moody Bible Institute. That does nothing for me in light of salvation. We all start at the same spot. I may know a few, 10 more facts than you, but that doesn't mean much to me. At the end of the day, our spiritual journey starts at the same place. And I think a lot of times we, we picture it like, like, have you ever watched the, uh, like the Olympics when they have the track races and you have the runners starting at different spots? And, you know, I, I have no idea how the math works out. It makes no sense to me, but somehow that's fair. I don't know. I feel like that's how we start our, our spiritual journeys, right? Oh, you know, oh, you know, that person grew up in a Christian home, so they kind of had a better start than me. Uh, you know, I did. No, we, we, no, no, no. That's not how this works. We all are at the same place. Every one of us. No matter who you are, where you came from, why? Because God has revealed himself generally, and that's all that matters. It takes you the rest of the way to particular revelation where you get to fall in love with him. There's nothing more needed. So it's kind of crazy. You know, I get to come up here and I get to talk about this to simply tell you, you don't need anything else, right? You don't need anything else. All you need is God's word. All you need for life and godliness is scripture. And as we've looked, you know, on Wednesday nights for, for the Israelites, that actually meant they didn't even need food, right? They just needed God's truth. They didn't even need food. God provided that. So don't cling to the things of this world first, right? Don't cling to, to resources that come before God's Scripture. At the end of the day, all we need for life and godliness is His Word. That's pretty much it. There is nothing to expound upon that. Romans 1 says it perfectly. Creation declares his beauty. Creation declares his glory. Creation declares his honor. Creation declares that there is a God. And if you look at creation and you're confused, talk to somebody who knows about him. Because then they can help you interact with the truths that explain why we're here and what we're doing. Let's pray. God, thank you for just the, uh, just the, the simplicity of this truth. <laughs> Sometimes I think your truths can be overwhelming, um, and there's, there's, there are things about you that truly we will never comprehend, but this one, this truth, is, it's just so simple, right? Truth comes from you, and that is all that matters. So God, I pray as we walk away and we go to our Bible studies and we jump into our discussions that we can dig into kind of uh, some, uh, some, some, some fantastic discussion on perhaps why we forget this, why we seek other things other than your truth. And God, as we, are, as we interact with your creation every day, every, every morning, every evening, God, let it be a, 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 just a, a conveyor belt that carries us back to your, your truth of Scripture, where you revealed yourself specifically so that we can know who you are and fall madly in love with you. God, thank you so much for this time. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Bible study will start in 10 minutes.